it's, uh, it's always interesting this time of year for me, and I, I joked with Jesse, I said, the next Christmas I'm going to do a series called Bah Humbug about all the reasons why I don't like Christmas. Um, and <laughs> okay, well, I got, I got some support for that. <laughs> um, but it, like there are things that just get muddled up and there are things that get confused that are frustrating to me um, and, and I don't know that I'll actually, I probably won't do a whole series about it. Um, but this is, this is kind of one of the things that does bug me a little bit. Um, this morning we're going to continue in our series. We've been talking about the wisdom of God and, and what is, like how is the wisdom of God like working out and what does it mean for it to um, to actually be functioning in the world today because we, we started with, with learning that um, God's wisdom is embedded in all of his creation. But if I had created something and, and according to my structure, I had made something and almost immediately it fell apart, every sane person would look at that and go, well, that, that is a broken system. You failed. And yet God has embedded his wisdom in creation so that even when man rebelled against him at the beginning, he had a way forward. There was something else that he was trying to do. Um, And so we've been talking about that. And last week through the story of Balaam, which I don't know about you, has just been something that God's really put in my heart and I am fascinated with the story. We learn that God's wisdom guides even those who would reject it. So we know that God's wisdom is embedded in all of creation and we know that creation didn't turn out maybe the way that it was originally planned to go, but that God's wisdom guides even those who would reject it and say, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Um, And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to what we might regularly be familiar with as as the manger scene, but we're not actually going to talk about the manger scene. Um, When in all of our nativities, not all of them, but in many of our nativity sets, we've got we've got three main groups of people that are in the nativity set. Um, We've got Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. They're kind of essential to be there. Um, there's some shepherds and some sheep and, and um, some a- barnyard animals that they usually constitute one family of things that are there. And then we've got the three kings or the, or the three wise men. And, and typically, like in the set that we display here in the church, um, they're all together on the same night. Um, but I want to take a look at the text of how the Bible describes what happened. And I want us to think about, like, maybe that isn't the best picture, um, but... Is it helpful still for us to see all of these things as occurring at the same time? Maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> um, so let's pray together before we b- begin. Um, God, thanks so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the way that you guide us. Lord, I thank you for traditions and things that you have taught us and passed down through, through generations. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to show honor to those things and, and, and to the people who have led us before. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your word to um, what it is, the heart of the matter that you want us to understand. And Lord, as we come to see what that is, Lord, would you bring us face to face, nose to nose, with our own heart? Would you help us to um, be shaped to be more like you? We can't do heart surgery on ourselves. So we submit ourselves to you. Um, and ask that you would speak clearly, that you'd give us ears to hear. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And if you're using the blue Bibles that are there in the seats in front of you, it's on page 1008, 1008 on the, in those Bibles. Um, and those are super extra large print. You can read them from space, which is super helpful. 
Um, and if you would, uh, if you'd like to take one home as a gift to us, like, or as a gift to you, we'd love for you to be able to do that. Just put your name in it and take it home, and, and we will um, bless you with that. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, page 1008 in the Blue Bibles. You tap or turn or however you want to navigate there, we'll read it together. And I'm going to read um, the first couple of verses here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it, was, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, with great joy. I'll pause there. So this might be a familiar narrative to you. You've, you've heard this story before, right? Like, are we all familiar with that? Okay. Um, and, and typically in our heads, we picture all of these things occurring. Jesus is born and these shepherds show up and these, these kings, these wise men, these magi show up out of nowhere and it's just like this big party in the middle of a stable. Um, is, is kind of what it looks like. But, but the way that Matthew brings this out, and we're not going to talk about the birth so much because we're starting in, in chapter 2, after Jesus was born. So verse 1 talks about when Jesus was born, and, and, and uh, chapter 1 in Matthew talks about when Jesus was born. Chapter 2 talks about what happens after he was born. And we know from the, the record in Luke that Jesus was born and the, and the shepherds showed up that night. And then eight days later, they took him to Jerusalem. Um, but then they also offered sacrifices there, and Mary was a part of that. And so there is a Jewish law. They were, they were law-abiding Jews. They, they went by the Old Testament law, and Mary wasn't allowed to offer sacrifices until she was ritually clean. So if she had just had a baby, it was going to take a couple of weeks before she could actually go and do the sacrifices. So we know that eight days afterwards they're in Jerusalem and then they're there for an extended period of time until she can offer her sacrifices as well. And then they're back in Matthew chapter 2, they're back in Bethlehem again. So it seems like there's been a road trip in there. We kind of have to read in between the lines to see it, um, but, but there is a road trip in there and, and and these kings show up, probably not on the night that Jesus was born, actually not on the night that Jesus was born. Um, up to maybe three months later, up to a year, maybe even two years. So Jesus isn't necessarily the baby in the manger. He's uh, maybe a toddler walking around as these, as these wise men, these magi show up. And, and, and these guys are fascinating to me um, because it says they're wise men uh, or they're magi um, from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, and what's the question that they asked? 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So think about this. They, they show up and they, say, they show up in Jerusalem and say, where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? That tells me a couple of things. Um, one, they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, which is kind of odd because they came from the east and, and the Hebrew scriptures were valued in Jerusalem and in Israel, but they're coming from maybe Babylon, uh, which isn't there. This would be like Persia after Persia fell, like we're in the Roman Empire. So they're, they're in a different, they're in a completely geographic in a completely different geographic location. But we've read about Esther, and we've read about how God preserved the Jews that, as they were in the captivity. And so as they got a reputation in these foreign lands, people became familiar with their scriptures to th and had respect for them to the degree that when there was a prophecy written in them, they made the big trek to get to the place to honor the king that was born. The other thing, because they're asking where's the one who's born king of the Jews, like, understand, they're not saying where's been born my king. I'm not, I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. I'm looking for the one who's been born king of the Jews. So I just want you to, to, to wrap your heads around. This is somebody who is completely outside the group of people that God is working with, specially. So at this time in, in history, God is, God is focused on the nation of Israel. All of the promises of what, of what um, Jesus was going to be when, he, when the angel's talking to Zechariah, when the angel's talking to Mary, all of those promises are related to a fulfillment of a Davidic king, an Israelite king. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't get excited about nations and other, or elections in other countries. It, it, like, if, if there's some kind of an election somewhere else, like, I'm not, I'm not super concerned about that. Because it's not my country, they're not my laws, they're not things that I have to deal with. So Jesus is being born and promised to be the one who sits on David's throne. Well, David's throne was Israel. It wasn't over there in, in that part of the country that used to be, or in that part of the world that used to be Babylon. But these people had such respect for the word and, and trusted it enough that they would make the journey to come and do this. And they show up uh, in the days of Herod the king. And, and, and if you don't know Herod, like, just count yourself lucky. I'm sorry I have to introduce you to him this morning. Um, he's, he's kind of the worst. Um, he was, his whole family, like, he was so full of himself that he just named all of his kids Herod. Like, even the girls are called Herodias, or, like, they, they all have Herod in their name. And it makes it really, really hard to write out the family tree and figure out who's who. Like, historians have spent a lot of time trying to parse out, like, I thought Herod did this and that and that, and that was because everybody was named Herod because he was just that full of himself, right? And um, he, was, he, was a, he was the king of the Jews. He was put over this province that was called Palestine in the Roman era as, as, the, ru as the ruler over this area. And so in order to make the Jewish people happy, he ate kosher. So he, he followed the Jewish diet, and um, would, for all intents and pretenses, act like he was a Jew. But his, his moral uh, compass was flawed in that over time he would slowly just like murder all of his children because he was threatened by them and they would like, there was this power struggle, this dynamic. And so he was a guy who would like show up to church on Sunday, but then also be like executing people on the side and throughout the week. Um, just a corrupt politician using religion for uh, a covering that would let him do whatever it is that he wanted to do. 
And so it's in that time that these guys show up and they say to Herod, hey, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And he's like, well, hey, you're talking to him. That's me. I'm the one who is king of the Jews. What do you mean somebody's been born? Like, I didn't have any kids uh, because normally you'd pass that line on through, through your kids. Um, uh, what, what do you mean? And so they went to go and search the scriptures to figure out what the heck these guys are talking about. Imagine this. God has done a special work with the nation of Israel. He's revealed his character to them. He's, he's revealed his desires for them. He has given them blessings, and they have constantly turned their backs on him. To such the degree, listen to this, to such the degree that outsiders who are not connected to the nation come in and know the word of God better than they do. They say, hey, where's the one that's been born? Where, uh, and they're like, uh, what, what, what do you mean? We, we weren't expecting a king. And, and, and what's crazy is, like, they had a prophet, Daniel, who told them, like, actually a pretty close timeline of, you can expect within these two years, Messiah is going to be born. And, and they didn't get it. They didn't know. They weren't expecting. They weren't waiting. And so these outsiders who had more reverence for the scripture show up to those to whom God's promises have been given and says, hey, you should be paying attention to this. Just a little bit startling, isn't it? To see what God's doing here. And so they ask him. They, or they follow, they follow this star. We follow this star. And I just would remind you that the prophecy about a star coming out of Israel and being, coming out of Israel and being a ruler, um, that prophecy was given by Balaam, a pagan uh, witchcraft voodoo guy that just happened to be recorded in the word of God because Yahweh was interacting with him in a really special way. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I read the Bible, especially when I'm like reading Paul or something like that, I look at people who, who or I look at the characters in the Bible and go, I could, like, there's, there's nothing for me here. I'm just a normal dude. I, I have trouble tying my shoes in the morning. I didn't even wear shoelaces today because I just struggle with it so much. It's a joke. I don't have shoelaces, but anyway. <clears throat> I'm a normal guy. And I read Paul talking about like how, how like he's, he's thrown in prison and like I will still rejoice. And I'll say it again, I'm gonna rejoice because all of these things have worked out for good. I'm like, you're in prison. Like, this is not a good situation. How can you be saying that? And I get discouraged. But when I look at either the family of Jesus, because Matthew starts with his family tree, or I look at the people that God uses in his story, I think, yeah, maybe, maybe God does use the weak to shame the strong maybe there is a chance that me, a normal person, could be used in God's story. And, and these, these pagans from outside the nation of Israel come in and offer this word of correction, like, where's your king? He, he's been born. This is a big deal, and, and they don't even know it. And so they look, and they find in Micah, that in Micah, they say that, that, the, 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 no, that there are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a, a ruler which will shepherd my people Israel. Like, and, and I don't know what kind of town you grew up in, but I grew up in a town that's actually kind of like Bethlehem, where like nothing happens. <clears throat> uh, there's no stoplights. Uh, no one really wants to stay. Um, in fact, it's, it's more likely that there isn't an inn and an innkeeper in, in the story. Like, it's probably just somebody's house. And they stayed in the back room of somebody's house. And I can go into all the archaeology on that, but that's not what I want to do today. I just want you to know that this isn't really the kind of town where there would be an inn. 
nothing happens. And so there's this old prophecy that says there's going to be a king that comes out of Bethlehem. Everybody's like, Bethlehem? Have you been out to Williston? There's really nothing there. What do you mean a king is going to come out of there? And, and so, the, so they figure this out, and the kings go on their way, and they see that, like, oh, yeah, the star thing that we've been following, like, that, that's actually the direction that we're going, and we're going to go and, and find him. And Herod's like, hey, hey, when you find him, I would just love to worship the new king. Like, would you just send me word where he's at and what his name is, social security number, and uh, I'll be up there, and I'll, 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 I'll bend the knee, too. You know what I mean? And so they go, and they rejoice, and they're, they're excited about this. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Um, I've been in the, the faith for a long time. I grew up in a, in a home that was Christian, and sometimes I just feel like I'm breathing the water. And sometimes we get to this time of year where we know these stories. These stories are not new to us. We're familiar to all of these things. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's Christmas time. I gotta do the, 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 the manger scene again. Um, and I, I listened to a preacher this, this, uh, this week who's, who's been serving in his church for 14 years, and he just said outright in the introduction of his sermon, he said, this is year 14. I've had to do this 14 times and had to make it different and interesting for you every time. <clears throat> and, and, and so if you are like that, if you're, if you're old, if you're seasoned in the faith, you can go like, I'm, I'm worn out by this. <clears throat> Perhaps. But I just invite you to look at these, these pagans that are rejoicing that God is actually doing something with the nation of Israel and he is doing what he promised that he was gonna do. He's gonna raise up a king and they're excited and they're willing to, to load up camels or whatever it is that they took to go and travel and go on this long road trip and take, take the risks of carrying money and gifts with them as they traveled, which may mean that they had to hire a secret police to you know, keep, keep security down. Like, I don't know what, what all went into all of this to be able to make this journey, but I know that people came and spent a lot of money to make it happen. Why? So that they could get like political favor? So that they could, you know, get ROI on their investment? Like, no, just because God was doing something and we want to give honor to what God is doing. It's incredible. Look with me in verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these guys show up at the house, and I don't know, like I can't imagine Mary, like she's washing dishes or trying to do the laundry or whatever, and these kings, you know, wise guys dressed up in gold, they show up and they're like, hey, where's the baby? And then they're like, this one is tied to my head, he's driving me crazy. And they're like, oh, well, you know, take him out of the sling, like we want to worship him. Uh, that's, uh, you write that one down. I don't, <laughs> your, your journal reflects that, doesn't it? It's a strange day. And they give him these, these kingly gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and, and a lot of ink has been spilled on the significance of those gifts, but, but it, it wasn't just like, <laughs> these meant something. Uh, these oils and these spices were things that, that only the wealthy could afford. And they just give them to this baby. They take the word of God so seriously that they would just drop money, like lots of money, at the foot of an infant. And, and bow down and worship him. 
Like, we don't, I don't know. There's, there's some kind of disconnect. There's something that happens in our culture where, like, we go to church and we think, like, yeah, I can sing praises and sing songs to Jesus, but, like, does it matter in the rest of the week? Like, do we, do we actually take it seriously that, that the things that God has done and the truths that we grasp on Sunday are gonna affect the way that we behave in the world throughout the rest of the week? And it seems like these pagans had a better idea than the Israelites did. And Mary knew who, his, who her son was. The angels straight up told her. And they had done the unthinkable in naming him Jesus instead of Joseph Jr. That didn't happen. Like, they took seriously what the angel had said, and yet there's this thing happening. It's just a fascinating picture to me. Look with me in, in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to, the, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, and then was fulfilled what the prophet, or what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So, recall with me who Joseph is. What kind of work does Joe do? He's a carpenter, he's a builder, he's a blue-collar guy. Um, and he's in Bethlehem, why? Taxes, gosh. <clears throat> and and he's, he's got this, this woman that he's engaged to and now she's pregnant and it's like by the Holy Spirit, like that's a weird thing to wrap your head around it, in and of itself. And I still have to like build a house and, and, make, and make this a family. He's got a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and now an, an angel is coming to the dream and said, hey, I want you to move uh, out of the country. Like, I don't, I don't know, if, if an angel showed up to your door today and was like, hey, I need you to move to Mexico. Um, it's going to get really heated in Ocala. Um, can you do that? If you're like me on my best days, on my best days when I'm acting like my dad, which doesn't always happen, but, but his first question would be like, how am I going to pay for a moving truck? Like, what are, what, how, how far is that? How many miles do I have to go? Like, do I have to rent the blankets to make sure that all the furniture doesn't get scratched? Like, you start thinking of logistics, and then I don't have money for this. I just built a house. I just got married. Like, there's all this stuff that's been going on. And why? Because these stinking kings, these stinking magi showed up and started asking questions about the, where, the, where the king was. Like, I was flying under the radar. We had that weird interaction with the shepherds, but like, by and large, people ignored us and thought we were crazy. And I was okay with that, but now I gotta deal with this because the king's trying to kill my kid. But they had left gifts where, where the spiritual opposition had showed up, God also provided a way out. And in the time where God asks him to take this big journey, he had already provided a means for him to be able to take it, to protect his family. So 
So when I say that God's wisdom leads outsiders to kneel before him, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? God's wisdom leads outsiders to kneel before him. There, there are scholars, particularly we've looked at some today, there are scholars who have looked at the text of Scripture and, and seen that it is so reliable that they were willing to put a lot of money out there to, to make sure that they could give honor to God, whether they like, were part of his family or not. And that's an astonishing story and one that I think is worth remembering. God's wisdom leads outsiders to kneel before him. And yet at the same time, those who are inside, he provides a way to take care of them. So what's, like really, the question is, what, what's our attitude? How do we treat those who are outside? By and large, we come in on a, on a Sunday morning, and as long as everybody looks like me, as long as everybody had a shower, as long as everybody at least pretended to comb their hair, like, I can get along with you people, right? But we've had, we've had guests with us who, who didn't look like us and who didn't shower, who you could smell if you sat next to them. And how do we treat those people? The same, sure. Because... I'm astonished to find in Scripture that even with a story that's so familiar, I find people who are outside giving God greater honor than people who are inside. Which isn't to say that that's always the case. This seems to be a, a crazy story. But I've taken that correction to myself. Where in the moments where I think I've got it all together, oftentimes through my kids, but, but through others too, in places where I least expect God's wisdom leads outsiders to kneel before him. And I'm reminded of those places in my heart where my pride has led me to stand up in his presence. Let's kneel together before him now. <laughs> God, you have done things that are beyond our scope of reasoning or understanding. We have the privilege of your story being written down and we have the privilege of reading it as history. But for the people who were in it, um, it was just happening. <laughs> we thank you for your grace and your kindness that has guided people through, through the ages. We thank you for your kindness that you've written this down so that we can see how you have worked. And Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see the work that you're doing in the world. Would you bow our hearts to be humble before you? That God, our familiarity with you would not undermine our intimacy with you that you would continue to draw us close in spite of ourselves. And that you'd give us your posture towards the people that you've put in our world. It's in your name we pray.